Yes, ladies and gentlemen, thank you once again for joining us here at INC Live and for our UFC 272 preview show. My name is Carl Bimmage and I am joined as ever by the man on the right-hand side of my screen. He is the heel to buy Pierce, the ant to my deck. Let's see if you get any of those, John. It's John Marsh in MMA. John, thank you for joining us. What's up, everybody? What's up, Carl? INC Live listeners, thanks for having me as always. We got another pay-per-view. I think it's our, what, third or fourth one of the year. Um, so we're knocking these pay-per-view events out. And another good card, honestly. Uh, the rare non-title fight main event in a pay-per-view. But I think this is still going to be a fun card. A lot of fun matchups on the main card. And uh, looking forward to breaking down these fights with you, Carl. And I want to say a big thank you as well to everyone who has been supporting the channel over the past three or four months. We are seeing some fantastic numbers for some of our content. The 271 preview show, over a thousand people tuning in for that one. Also the 700 people who tuned in to watch my interview with Katie Sauls. Um, Katie was an absolute pleasure to speak to. Unfortunately, things didn't turn out the best for her and SPG with the Johnny Walker result, but... Lovely person to speak to, and hopefully over the next couple of months, we will be having more fighter interviews. It's something that I, I personally love enjoying, and based on the numbers we're getting, it uh, seems our viewership feels the same way. All that sort of hot-dogging and grandstanding out the way, however, people are here to listen to us talk about UFC 272. And as John mentioned, as I get him back onto my screen here, the uh, Skype's really playing up this afternoon. Um, I have to say, UFC 272, we've had two sort of middle-of-the-road pay-per-views, not really sort of big long-term ramifications. This might not be one of those pay-per-views which people are sort of like, have sort of like big implications in terms of title pictures, but it's safe to say it's one of the more eagerly anticipated over the past three or four months. Yeah, I mean, I'm really looking forward to it, but it does seem like these pay-per-views are coming like awfully close to one another. I mean, it seems like just a what was it, two or three weeks ago we were doing the 271 show. I think it's, what, uh, the third pay-per-view in, like, six or seven weeks or something like that. It seems like they're maybe putting these events a little too close together. Um, it doesn't really give you that time to, like, build anticipation before the next big pay-per-view. But uh, regardless, it's still a good card. You know, like I said earlier, the way they structured this one, I think they put some fun fights on the card, uh, except for Greg Hardy. I'm not really sure why that fight's on the main card. They got uh, our girl Marina Rodriguez down on the, the prelims, even though her fight should be, you know, the pretty clear number one contender fight, you know, after Esparza and Rose fight. So um, still really fun card, some good prelim fights as well. And we'll be talking about that card in just a few moments time. Before we get there, though, uh, let's talk about some of the sort of big stories which have been happening in the world of mixed martial arts. Now, we've almost got through that sort of like winter lull that the UFC normally does around sort of January, February time, when the UFC have a tendency to overstack on the fourth quarter of the year. And that means that the first quarter of the following year does seem to be a little bit weaker than normal. We're starting to plow through that, and now our spring schedule is starting to take shape, including UFC 274, which could be taking place in May. The title fights for that card have both been announced. Charles Oliveira defending against Justin Gagey, and Glover Tashira taking on Yuri Prohovska. Uh, obviously, we'll discuss that in a lot more detail when we get to those fights, but it's safe to say May could be a very big month, especially if you're a Brazilian. Yeah, that's going to be really fun. I think they were originally planning to do the card in Brazil, but I feel like those plans kind of fizzled out. I think they might be it might be happening in Jacksonville. I don't know. Is there an official location announced for that pay-per-view yet? I think I think it might be Jacksonville for that one. 
Um, yeah, I mean, I think it would be more fun in, in Brazil. Obviously, Oliveira and Glover both probably deserve that hometown fight. And, uh, you know, those are incredible matchups, uh, fights we haven't seen before. That is obviously always a little more intriguing than rematches like we've been getting for the past few years. Um, but uh, Old Man Glover, one of the greatest stories uh, in MMA in the past several years, getting that title, fighting the madman Jerry Prochaska, just an absolute menacing fighter, um, coming off of one of the best knockouts of 2021. So that's that's an amazing matchup. And then the lightweight fight, uh, you know, Oliveira really cemented himself as the true champion at 155. Uh, Chandler and uh, Gaethje had that great fight that Gaethje, you know, won pretty handedly. And then he completely deserves that title shot, too. So, you know, two amazing title fights. I can't wait to talk about them uh, in more in depth in the next couple of months. And following that, in June, all roads seem to be pointing towards Israel Adesanya versus Jared Kananiya. Two people who were both on the card at our previous uh, UFC pay-per-view, 271. Based on what you saw on that night, how could you possibly see that one going? I think it probably will go a little bit similar to the Adesanya versus Whitaker fight we saw Um you know, I thought we had I had some pretty good predictions on that one. Did pick uh, Cannoneer to pull off the upset. Did you know beat Carl on that head to head? Just for all you wondering. Uh, and then I did um, <laughs> I did say that the the main event was going to go the distance. I was pretty confident in that, and it was going to be a closer, competitive, forty eight forty seven decision. And I think that was a pretty accurate assessment um, in terms of what Cannoneer really has to offer. I don't really see much. Um, you know, he is a very good striker, but he's just facing a guy who's a next level striker, incredible speed. And uh, Israel also has a is getting better at like winning five round fights uh, by small margins. You know, we saw it uh, in this last fight. Um, we saw it in the Romero fight. And he's kind of, you know, becoming a master at these five round, you know, lackluster decisions at times. And that could just be another one. So I see like uh, another striking fight where Israel, you know, wins pretty clearly you know, four rounds to one or something. Someone made a really good point regarding Adesanya, which is people always have a goal. Like I always use Tim Sylvia as the big example of this. They always believe that there's two different types of fights depending on whether or not they have the belt and whether or not they don't. And people always use Tim Sylvia as a case study because Tim Sylvia was like this big knockout artist just plowing through the heavyweight division. But once he got the belt, he became so paranoid about losing it he started fighting very, very cautiously. And somebody made the argument, we're starting to see that a little bit with Adesanya. There's a big difference between the way he fought on the way up through the rankings and since he started his title there. Yeah, but I think that that mostly has to do with like strength of competition. You know, he, he was able to get a little more, um, you know, wild and aggressive in his early on fights when he wasn't fighting the highest level guys. But now that he's, you know, consistently fighting the top two, three guys in the division and, you know, they deserve uh, respect and caution. And, you know, Izzy is approaching these fights in a very, you know, risk adverse um, fashion, which is, I think, kind of becoming a little unentertaining. You know, I didn't find the Whitaker fight uh, to be an exciting fight at all. Um, so, you know, it's interesting. You know, I think uh, the UFC just signed Izzy to like a big new deal. And, you know, his fights are kind of fizzling out in terms of in terms of entertainment value. So who knows? Um, interested to see where Izzy goes in the future. And after he beats Cannoneer, what, what is there even left for him at middleweight? Um, he's beaten, you know, everyone in the top five. So. Um, maybe they'll have to uh, bring Gegard Musasi over from Bellator to make another challenger for Izzy.
I'm hearing so many calls for that based on what happened against him and Austin Vanderford. A lot of people, um, obviously recency bias is a big thing in this sport, but a lot of people are jumping on the gear guard train now. Yeah, well, between you and me, Izzy would probably butcher uh, Musasi, but it would still be fun to, like, you know, get him back in the UFC. I don't see it happening, though. It's just kind of a pipe dream, um, you know. I don't know what Izzy's going to do after this. Uh, if he beats Cannoneer, like I said, who who left is there for him, you know? Yep. Sean Strickland. <laughs> it probably will be Strickland, depending on who they matchmake him against. We could be spending all this time talking about Israel Adesanya, you're here, though, to listen to us talk about UFC 272. And as John mentioned earlier on in the show, bit of a unique situation when it comes to the UFC, with this being a non-title fight, a non-title main event, five rounds. You seldom see that this day and age unless you're Connor or the Diaz brothers. Um, but I have to say, though, when you bear in mind what could potentially be a non-title pay-per-view main event, Colby Covington and Jorge Masvidal, it ticks a lot of the right boxes. Yeah, definitely. I mean, this is uh, one of the fights that is deserving of that exception for a non-title fight pay-per-view. Um, you know, very deserving of this. You know, it's got a good backstory. It should be a good matchup. Um, and then I think the coolest thing about this entire pay-per-view is the co-main event, Rafael Dos Anjos versus Fiziev in five rounds. Uh, like you said, unless you're a Diaz brother, um, They've never done uh, this five-round non-title fight on a pay-per-view. I think Nick and Nate are the only two, right? What Wasn't Lawler? Yeah, Lawler and Diaz was scheduled for five yes. rounds, too. And then D Diaz and um, uh, Leon was five rounds as well. So this is only the third time they're doing it. Uh, this was supposed to be a main event last week for, uh, with the Hill-Walker card, but they had to push it back a little bit. But, uh, you know, that's going to be an incredible matchup. I can't wait to talk about that one. So, like, like I said, even though there's not a title fight, there's no belts on the line, uh, this is still, you know, a very deserving pay-per-view card. And we will be talking about the five fights on our main card in just a few moments' time. Before we get there, though, let's talk about some of the fights which are on the prelims. And I think John sort of mentioned it earlier on in the show. One of the sort of big issues that stems around UFC 272. And it seems to be a lot more commonplace with the UFC. It's one of the sort of the sort of big feelings I feel is what fights they choose to put on the main card and the like card order and that sort of thing. And we're seeing this again when you look at some of the fights on the prelims, especially that second fight, the sort of core main to the prelims. Uh, women's strawway about Marina Rodriguez, my nomination for female fighter of 2021. She's in what is basically a number one contender match up against Yan Xiaonan. And there's a lot of people thinking this is a big, high-profile match. Winner could potentially face the winner of Rose Namajunas versus Carla Esparza. And the UFC missing a trick here, not giving it that pay-per-view showcase. Um, you know, it's it's interesting because I think this would have been a little bit better deserved if it was like a co-main event on a fight night. If you look at the co-mains on the first four fight nights of the UFC this year, they're just literally atrocious fight after atrocious fight i don't know what they're doing um but then then you have this fight that actually does have some meaning behind it you know rodriguez is probably the number two contender at women's straw weight uh shannon is probably uh in the top five even though she did just get dominated by carla esparza but this fight does have some implications behind it um and if marina wins she should be definitely next in line after carla and rose but they haven't even scheduled that fight yet though so 
they're kind of dragging their feet with this women's strawweight division a little bit. Um, you know, Whaley Zhang is in the mix there somewhere. So, uh, you know, I, I think this fight is going to be a fun one. I think it's definitely uh, a very de- uh, deserving high-level uh, women's fight. Honestly, like, it could be a main event. Didn't they just schedule, like, a Holly Holm main event or something like that? Um Am I making that up, Carl, or is I that think, true? I think Ketlin Vieira, her, Holly versus Ketlin, which that yeah. just doesn't make any sense for me. I understand, yes, that Holly is, she's got a, still got a big, big, big brand name, but her relevance was what at its peak, what, five years ago? And the fact she yeah. still keeps getting these main events, it just, I'm a bit tired of the whole Holly Holm thing. And I'm just thinking, let's get ourselves some new blood. Let's, let's maybe take a chance with a Rodriguez versus a Yarn, because... I've looked at some of the fight night main events they've been putting on recently. And Marina versus Jan is far more deserving than going Curtis Blades versus Chris Dawkins, another Curtis Blades five round main event. Mm-hmm. I agree completely. Um, and yeah, I mean, Rodriguez has had back to back main events, um, but I thought that, you know, she's a deserving five round fighter. You know, I, I enjoy watching her fight. I think she is one of the more skilled females in the entire UFC. So um, I'm happy to see her in main events uh, if, you know, we have to have women's main events. Um, but, you know, like I said, this one's on the prelims, whatever. Like, we're, it's going to be a good fight. Let's not, you know, dwell on it too much. But I, I think Rodriguez should win that one. Although the odds in this one are, are pretty crazy yan shenan's over like a two to one underdog so um there might be some value on uh, the chinese fighter here yep uh anything else that stands out for you on the prelims yeah i'm really looking forward to seeing umar under magomedov again um this guy is honestly like a generational talent i believe um you know incredible kicking game incredible grappler uh, just looks extremely promising um you know he has only one fight in the ufc so far but he dominated and finished sergey morozov and uh morozov's a really solid fighter so i'm really excited to see where umar goes kelleher should be a, a decent test for him as well um, but i'm excited to see umar fight any any other fights that interest you um i don't imagine it being the most uh technical fight in the world but i always get a kick out of seeing i hope i pronounce his surname right kennedy Sajuku. I hope I hope I got yeah. that right. In Zechiku, yeah. Yeah. Close enough. Yeah. I was never very good at English, I'm afraid to say. Um, yeah, Nergomanu versus Inzechiku. That's a mouthful, but that <laughs> should be a really fun fight as well. Um yeah, I mean the the whole the whole prelims are good. I mean, there's really not a bad fight on the entire prelims. I think they're all pretty relevant, uh, you know, interesting fights. Um, the Ukraine power, Marion Moraz is going to be uh, f- facing Maria Agapova. Um, you know, I feel like the the Ukrainian fighting spirit is just flowing through their veins right now. So give me Marion Moraz as an underdog all day in that fight. Yeah, I think it's going to be a first fight for something like two years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, since like uh, since like the the pandemic card when they the Oliveira versus Lee card, right when COVID started. Yeah, and I hope as well that we manage to get ourselves a short notice replacement for Manor Vero. Um, obviously she was supposed to fight Jessica Rai. Jess had to pull out of that fight um for an injury, and there's a lot of people who are potentially touting Vero as a potential Shevchenko opponent down the road. So. I'm hoping for her sake she is able to get herself another ranked opponent because there are a lot of people who are quite high on her. Yeah, I was looking forward to that one as well. I would definitely be uh, betting and losing money on Jessica I in that fight, so um, I'm upset that it's it's being canceled. But um, you know, Jessica I is uh, a queen. I'm not going to second guess her. You know, I've been a loyal subscriber for OnlyFans for a long time now, so <laughs> um, I hope she'll be back in the mix real soon. 
Is she part of your um, your stable? Um, no, but uh, I did bet on her versus Jennifer Maya, and she deserved to win that fight too. So you know, I have a lot of sympathy for for Evil Eye. Yep. Um, so we're going to be going on to the main card though, and opening the main card, it is a heavyweight bout, a fight that was originally scheduled for UFC 270. Um, unfortunately though, that fight did fall through. It is Greg Hardy taking on Sergei Spivak. At the moment, the betting odds for this one over at DraftKings, you can get Spivak at minus 220. He's the favorite going into this one. Greg Hardy coming in at plus 180. Now, originally, Greg Hardy was supposed to be fighting Alexei Olenek at that January card. Olenek pulled out, Spivak stepped in as a short notice before Hardy himself, I believe it was a broken finger, had to pull out of the fight, it's been rescheduled, and I think the big question coming around this fight isn't so much the sort of implications of this fight, it's more so something that we sort of touched on before, why is Greg Hardy still getting these big main card slots, and I, I bring this up for three reasons. We've already seen enough of Greg Hardy during his time in the UFC. And I understand that he's still comparatively inexperienced in terms of mixed martial arts. But I think we've seen enough of him to know he's not going to be that sort of big elite level fighter. So putting him on the main... I think make... you're, you're, you're being too nice. You should say we, we've seen enough of him to know that he sucks at fighting. And, you know, what are we still doing with this whole Greg Hardy experiment? Great question. I just don't want to be part of one of those when karma goes wrong MMA videos they always seem to do. But my point is... Well, no one's, no one's making them to defend uh, freaking the woman beater Greg Hardy, so I think we're in the clear. My point is, though, it's not like a Sean O'Malley situation. <laughs> like, Sean O'Malley is given pay-per-view main card slots because you expect, like, a highlight reel and to say, this is MMA's next big superstar. And number two... If, you put, if you're going down the opposite route and putting him on the main card hoping people pay to see him lose, then why are you putting him against Sergei Spivak, who's primarily a grappler? And if he is going to be Greg Hardy, it's going to be sort of like a submission or sort of like a, a slow decision. It's not like Tai Tuivasa, which like knocks him out one shot punch. Yeah, um... You know, all, all valid questions. I mean, Greg Hardy is, is no good at fighting. I mean, he uh, has made some marginal improvements over the time. Um, but just this is still very unnatural to him. Um, I mean, you saw that in the uh, the Tuivasa fight. He hurts him with a punch and then runs face first into a counter. Um, and I think he I think he only had a cut on his hand. There was like a slice on his uh, on his finger. I'm telling you, I know what it came from. When you have an avocado, you cut the avocado and like you put the knife in there and sometimes it it punches through the, the avocado skin and you cut your whole finger. I, I guarantee you that's what happened. But, um, yeah, I mean, Sergei Spivak, uh, I think he has Ukrainian roots as well. I think he was born in Moldova, raised in Ukraine. So, you know, the Ukrainian spirit's going to be flowing through his veins. Um, there's no way that he's going to be losing to a chump like Greg Hardy. And, you know, it's it's a knockout or bust type of fight for Hardy. Hardy's going to need to catch him clean early on uh, unless uh, Sergey's going to take him down and, and do, you know, bad things to him. Watch uh, Sergey Spivak versus Jared Vandera or uh, the last round of the Carlos Felipe fight. I mean, when he gets on top, I mean, he throws hammers, uh, good ground and pound. He was able to choke out Tai Tuivasa just a few years back. Um, so Spivak's a pretty, um, he's not a good striker, um, but he's, he's serviceable enough to think that I think he's not going to get caught and knocked out on the feet. And I think he's just going to take Hardy down and and uh, finish him on the, the ground in the first two rounds. Uh, it's probably going to look like the, uh, the March and Tabura fight against uh, Greg Hardy. 
I'm glad you brought that up in regards to the title of Artifact, because what do you think Sergei Spivak is thinking right now? When he sees Taito Avase in pay-per-view core main events, beating Derek Lewis, going up to number three in the world, and he'll, he'll be sitting there thinking, well, three years ago, I embarrassed this guy. Why aren't I getting the praise and the recognition? It, it's, it's, you sometimes get this where a fighter suffers this sort of early career loss that just fans seem to sort of brush under the carpet a bit. Yeah, I mean, he's definitely got to feel a little bit sour about all of it. Um, it's interesting, though, like if that he was a big underdog in the fight the first time was booked. And I wonder if they booked it again this year, like what what would the odds look like? I think even though Ty got, you know, smashed in that fight, I think he would still somehow be like a big favorite in the fight just because of all the momentum he's gained over the past uh, four wins or so. But, um, yeah, he's definitely got to be feeling like a little bit left out of, uh, you know, the party seeing as Ty Tivasa is going to be fighting in Ganu any day now. So. <laughs> Is that in uh, is that in BKFC boxing Bellator? Where's that happening? Is it going to be happening that's, that's in the UFC? Uh, it's a shoey competition, honestly. But um, no, uh, I hope they skip the the uh, Stipe Miocic. I don't. I hope they don't do Ty versus Stipe. And they, if if they did Ty versus Agano, that would just be so fucking great. I think we might have briefly touched on this the last podcast. Like, w- what if that actually happens? The fact that that's actually a possibility. But uh, I mean, that would just be uh, incredible. So I want to see that Ty versus Agano. I think it's safe to say you're trying to get this back on topic. We've, we're having a lot of fun here, but um, getting back on topic, you're not really giving Greg Hardy much of a chance in this fight. I actually think he's got a better chance than most people believe. He's, he's right to be the underdog, but Greg does carry a lot of big power very early on in the fight. He, even if he has sort of become a bit more of a point fighter these days, We've seen him before very early in his run that he does carry a lot of big power and he can overwhelm people. And I've seen a lot of times with Spivak, one of his big failings is very early on in the fight because I went back and watched through a lot of Sergei's fights to sort of like get a bit of a understanding of what I can expect. First thing he does very early on in the fight, he's backing himself up against the fence. He's always moving backwards. And that's what led him down when he fought Walt Harris, because we know Walt, big flurries at the start of fight, completely overwhelmed him. Same thing against Tom Aspinall. And if we sort of see the sort of, the sort the Greg Hardy that was sort of like bulldozing people when he was on the Contender Series, he could cause Spivak a lot of problems early on. And I think, I think with Greg Hardy, I, I don't like praising Greg Hardy. I want to make it perfectly clear. I'm not defending this guy. There are some fundamentals he does do very well. He has a very good job. He was causing Tabura a lot of problems early on in that first round. So if Sergei isn't on his game, if he isn't able to get the takedowns, Greg could cause him a lot of problems, especially in that first round. Yeah, I think I think Spivak will get hit a little bit early on, but once he realizes that he's the striking is not going his way, he'll look to start wrestling. And I just don't trust Hardy at all to stop the takedowns. His cardio kind of melts after a little bit. Um, you know, like you said, he was beaten up to Burr in round one there, but it was only it only lasted for four or five minutes, and then he got taken down and one takedown, and the fight was over. So, um, yeah, I'm picking the Moldovan monster to uh, get a ground finish here, and probably like round two, I'll say. It's going to, a lot of, if Greg's going to win this fight, it's going to be in the first round. I think if it gets mm-hmm. into that second round, there are some issues with his conditioning. And as we saw, it's, it's quite strange. Round one of the Tabura fight was Greg Hardy's best performance. Round two mm-hmm. was his worst. 
because the moment he got taken down to the ground, he seemed absolutely clueless over what to do. And I think if, Spur- if Spivak is able to survive the early onslaught and get it to the mat, I can see... Um, I, the question is whether or not it's going to be a submission finish or whether it's going to be ground and pound. I'm going mm-hmm. to lean towards ground and pound because Spivak does have some pretty decent ground and pound. I mean, he bloodied up tight to Avasa. Yeah, and Vandera, yeah, butchered him up. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm not confident in either whether it's going to be ground and pound or TK or a sub, but it's going to be a finish on the mat, I'd say, in, in round two. And this is also the final fight on Greg Hardy's contract. Is this it for him if he loses? Let's hope so. <laughs> I love how you're just completely no-selling any element of this. Yeah, well... Um... When you watch Greg Hardy fight and you realize that this guy's on a pay-per-view main card, there there are some injustices being done here, you know? Certainly so. Fight number two might be a little bit more to your fancy, though. Are these two people more deserving of their main card slot? It's Kevin Holland versus Cowboy Oliveira. The big selling point to this one being that it's Kevin Holland's long-awaited debut at the 170 weight class. Now, Kevin Holland was by a long way one of the breakout fighters of 2020. Sort of like the... I heard him described as the, the crowdless hero because it was five fights in 2020, including that highlight reel knockout up against Jacare. I'm trying to think. I think it's one of the very few fighters to win five fights in a calendar year. And then, of course, 2021 happens. He gets that jumping quality, and we start to see some of the limitations to Kevin Holland's game. He's still the bookmaker's favorite for this one, minus 250 up against Cowboy Oliveira. You can get him a plus 200. Kevin Holland at 170, is this the right move for him to make? Um, you know, it's, I think it's probably worth a try considering that he just seems, you know, too small and uh, physically weak for the guys up at uh, middleweight. He knew that really started becoming evident in his past few fights. Um, and, you know, I mean, he did have a great 2020, you know, win in five fights. That is impressive. But I think a lot of those wins, you know, aren't like in retrospect extremely impressive i mean the jacare fight was some crazy freak knockout from bottom Antiveros is not a not a real fighter um darren stewart i thought he lost that fight um buckley was probably the nicest win of all and then a quick uh you know 30 second finish over hernandez um you know he he just high rolled himself uh very you know ex- very relevantly um and then that it was uh it was great for the betting odds because we got him uh as a favorite over Derek brunson and you know blonde brunson put a, a wrestling clinic on that man and then marvin vittori did the same thing after that so uh you know i think that holland moving down to welterweight is like i said worth a try but i also don't know wh- where the hell is the weight coming from i mean he's not a thick guy at, at middleweight but he's six foot three and i mean you know it, it can't be easy to cut an additional 15 pounds it's not like it's going like from uh 145 to 155 only 10 pounds it's 15 pounds so it's going to be interesting to see how the weight cut goes, how his cardio looks, um, just how he looks physically. He he was pretty durable up at 185, very hard to, to hurt and knock out. But, um, you know, who knows what it'll look like down at this weight class with that extra weight cut. I have to say the UFC, um, the UFC Performance Center, they have been very good in getting fighters down to weights that I think a lot of people didn't expect to. I mean, nobody thought Jose Aldo 
was going to be a success at Bantamweight. People were saying this is going to be another flyweight Dillashaw, and he's been thriving recently. We've got Edson Barboza, who is now a featherweight. Absolutely shredded the 155, and yet now he's fighting the featherweight. So I do have some confidence that Kevin Holland wouldn't make this decision if he didn't think it could be done. And I actually think mm -hmm. as well, you compare him to, say, a Marvin Vittori or a Derek Brunson, who would just muscle upon muscle. I do think Kevin Holland is one of the smaller middleweights out there, so... I'm very similar to you. I think it was worth the ch taking the chance. And if he does make a success out of the way cut, he does have a lot of tools to... I, I personally expect him to win this fight, mainly because of some of the concerns I have over Cowboy Oliveira. But very rangy, powerful striker. Um, long straight punches. We've seen him hurt. Plenty of guys. I mean, he had Derek Brunson rocked at times during that fight. But... It's the striking footwork. He just finds himself in positions where people are able to close the distance against him, get him up against the fence, and once you're up against the fence, he's got no answer. The question is, yeah. is Cowboy Oliveira going to be able to utilize a grappling-heavy game to exploit that? Or are we going to see a fighter who... I hate to say it. I mean, I love Cowboy Oliveira. Very exciting fighter. The match with Yancy Medeiros, in my opinion, is one of the most underrated in MMA history. Me too, yeah. Good but is this a guy who's past his prime? Is this a guy who's on the way out? Oh, he's for sure past his prime. I mean, um, the physicality is just not there anymore. Uh, his cardio not there anymore. Round three versus Nico Price, he was real tired. Um, round three versus Max Griffin, he gets stuck on bottom. That's the thing with Oliveira is once he gets taken down, the guy is so, so bad at getting off his back. Like He, he just seems physically incapable of it at some times. He just accepts being on his back, uh, goes to full guard, and just lays there for multiple minutes. I mean... Uh, the fight can be on the line. I, oh, the Nicholas Dalby fight was another example. Um, the fight can be on the line. It can be. It's his fights are always like one one heading into round two, and then he gets taken down and lays on his back the entire round three. Like, um, so I mean, I can't pick Oliveira here just based on the fact that um, his cardio is is you know waning. His you know physicality is waning. His output isn't reliable. Um, you know he can win a round or two of the first two rounds, but I mean extremely unreliable in round three and. I mean, I don't like Kevin Holland as a minus like 200 or more 250 favorite here. I think that's pretty crazy, but I do sort of just expect him to win the fight on being, you know, less shot, uh, be, probably having the better cardio, being a little more aggressive and having better initiative. So I don't have like a concrete read on how uh, the fight will go. I just think that Holland will like hustle his way to a decision win probably. I'm leaning that way as well. I don't think that Kevin Holland is going to be able to finish Cowboy Oliveira. If there is one sort of note of caution I do have, though, I remember watching Cowboy Oliveira up against Gunny Nelson, UFC 231. And obviously that fight ends pretty badly for Cowboy. It's one of the worst cuts that I remember seeing. But a lot of people forget that first round, he took down Gunny Nelson and he kept him there for a good five minutes. And Gunny, who we all know a fantastic jiu-jitsu practitioner, he couldn't do anything with Cowboy's top game. So if Cowboy is able to get this fight to the mat, especially in the first round, we could see the same problems which Kevin Holland's been having so many problems with over these past two or three fights. 
Yeah, I mean, that's his way to win. I mean, I don't trust his volume on the feet to win, um, so he's going to have to get some top position. But then comes the problem of, is he going to be able to wrestle uh, for, you know, three times Mm and over three rounds and get takedowns without gassing himself out? But um, all he needs, in my opinion, is like if he if Holland throws like a sloppy kick in round one and Oliveira catches it and ends up on top, he's on top and. Holland might not get up, and he barely had to use any energy. And then in rounds two and three, he possibly could win one more of those rounds and steal a decision here. So, I mean, I definitely wouldn't be betting on Kevin Holland. You got the weight cut. You got the fact that he's terrible wrestler, terrible on bottom. Um, Cowboy Oliveira at one point was, you know, a, a freak athlete. And, um, you know, he still does show shades of that during a fight. It's just an inconsistent 15 minutes. So, I mean, I think it's a fantastic matchup. Both these guys definitely deserve to fight one another. They're both, you know, crazy uh, madmen in the octagon. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Fight number three is going to be a very interesting one as well because people like to throw around the old sort of trope of striker versus grappler. But this is as quintessentially striker versus grappler as you can possibly get. It's Edson Barboza taking on Bryce Mitchell, a man who's been in the news for a lot of reasons over these past couple of days. Uh, And he's the bookmaker's favorite for this one. Minus 155. You can get Edson Barboza at plus 135. Barboza is looking to bounce back from the Giga Chikatsi loss. And for Bryce Mitchell, it's the first real test of how good this guy actually is because... At both lightweight and featherweight, Barboza has had this reputation of being a sort of division gatekeeper. You get through Edson Barboza, you have the right to be taken seriously. Is Bryce Mitchell's opportunity to do so? Is it one he's going to take? Yeah, I would say that Bryce has already impressed me. Um, you know, his win over Andre Feely, I, I did find, you know, pretty impressive. I rate Andre Feely pretty highly, and uh, he was able to win two rounds of that fight on his way to a decision. And, you know, the guy doesn't really have much striking at all. I mean, he he isn't a, a functional striker, but what he does is he stays on the outside. He stays outside of kicking range. He enters in close range. He swings a big punch, and then he goes for his takedown right off of that punch. Um, so it's a pretty similar formula that he follows, you know, uh, time and time again. But it, it works, and he's a, he's a really good wrestler. And he is a fantastic jujitsu grappler. I mean, the way he transitions from side control to mount uh, to the back take, he can attack uh, submissions from all angles. I mean, the guy's incredible. Um, So uh, Edson Barbosa is going to have a tough matchup because, you know, throughout Edson's career, he has not dealt well with wrestlers. Um, I believe Benil Daryush was taking him down before he got flying need. Of course, Khabib uh, took him down and smashed him. Kevin Lee took him down and smashed him. Uh, Dan Ige had some success uh, recently on top. Um, Makwan Amirakani was able to take him down a few times. So it's just the same thing I was saying earlier about uh, Oliveira and Holland. Once they get taken down, these guys just don't have that that gene in their body to get back up off their feet i'm mean, off their back they just don't scramble well they would rather lay on their back for multiple minutes and staying guard and that's just a terrible strategy that's not going to work against um, bryce mitchell bryce mitchell's going to be passing and keeping them down so it's really a matter of do you think that edson barbosa can stop the takedowns or do you think edson barbosa can knock this guy out before he gets to the takedown and you know I, i'm leaning I'm leaning Thug Nasty to just get the job done via wrestling and his jiu-jitsu. I think his his takedowns are, are just going to be too good to stop. And once he gets on top, I don't see Barboza getting up. I'm in a very similar boat. Um, I think that 
there's a lot of things to like about Bryce Mitchell. Like, obviously, you mentioned it before, his jiu-jitsu is absolutely incredible. I love the way, especially, that he just seems to flow between submissions at times. He'll go for from head and arm chokes. He'll try and throw in a twister in there. I love seeing submission experts who are just so fluid in the way they do. It's not just five minutes of like lay and pray and then maybe go for a submission right at the end of the round. He is always trying to chase those finishes. And you can see that in his results. I think it's something like, what is it, 14 wins? And I think it's what, 11 or 12 of them have come by submission. So this guy is has great prowess. I am interested to see, though, one of the things I haven't really seen from Bryce Mitchell over his UFC career. Nobody's ever really tested his chin. And I do wonder if Edson Barboza is able to either throw in like a good head kick in there or his left hook, because I think Barboza's striking, his actual hand speed, has got a lot better. We saw that when he fought Shane Burgos, which turned basically into a boxing match, that I do think his hands have got a lot better. I am interested to see if Bryce Mitchell is able to handle that side of things. But as you mentioned before, we've seen so many times Edson Barboza fall victim to the same thing. He gets backed up, but he cannot fight going backwards. We've seen that plenty of times before. And if someone is able to take him down, he just seems very content to just sit back, wait until the round's over, and just think, okay, I lost that one. Let's go again. Let's see what happens. There's no fight coming back from him if he gets taken down. Yeah, and I mean, I agree with all that. And um, last thing I'll say about Mitchell is what really impressed me in the the Andre Feely fight is uh, the guy's cardio. You know, he can wrestle for the full 15 minutes. Um, he got a takedown early in round one. He kept him down the entire round, won it decisively. Round two, Feely started hitting him with some strikes, started stuffing takedowns. Um, he got he stood up from one takedown. It, it was Andre Feely's round. He landed the better shots, even though uh, the dumb judges uh, thought two or three uh, judges thought that he won, Mitchell won that round somehow. Um, but it was 1-1 one, one, heading into the third. The momentum was kind of on Feely's side, and then Mitchell was still able to dig deep, shoot those takedowns, get those takedowns, and win the round three decisively. So, I mean, the guy's cardio is good. He can wrestle hard for 15 minutes, and I think that that's going to be good enough to be Barbosa. Barbosa is going to need a knockout. I think that he's going to have to catch Mitchell coming in with, you know, uh, a, a flying knee like he did Daryush or, you know, get him at range with the big body kick, but I don't see Barbosa winning the fight uh, via decision or submission at all. It's going to be have to be a knockout if he wants to win. A lot of the detractors of Bryce Mitchell, and there's certainly been a lot more of them coming out the woodwork over the past couple of days, they'll point towards what happened on the Ultimate Fighter when he fought Brad Katona. Now, even though that wasn't an official sanctioned fight, it is still a loss that Bryce Mitchell has had in his MMA career. What can Edson Barbosa learn from the Katona fight that could potentially give him an avenue to get the win. Um, so was that was that fight a was that fight a bantamweight? I mean, I remember that being one of the best like tough fights I I ever saw, honestly. Um, but uh, no, no, that was featherweight. I think um, it's featherweight, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think Katona was able to match that grappling pace, and it was a really high high pace fight. And you know, I don't have vivid recollections of it, but um, like I said, I remember it being a really good fight. Um. I think I was also maybe 1-1 one, one heading into round three. But I think Katona is probably a, a more versed defensive grappler than um, 
than uh, Barbosa is. Um, but I thought I thought you were going a different re- uh, way with that. I thought you were going to say uh, the detractors of Mitchell are going to point out to him uh, getting his nutsack caught in a drill bit. I, th- <laughs> I thought that that's where you're going, but I, you you brought up a fighting point. Um, but yeah, you got to think like. You like you are betting on a guy who did get his own nutsack tangled up in a drill bit and had to go to the, uh, the hospital room about it. So you know you can't really put your money too heavily on Bryce Mitchell here as a favorite. I I will make one last point though in regards to Edson Barboza. I was looking through the guy's portfolio in the UFC. These are some of the guys he's beaten while he's been part of the promotion: Shane Burgos, Dan Hooker. Benil Dayush, Gilbert Melendez, Anthony Pettis, Paul Felder, Bobby Green. That's like a who's who of lightweight fighters. So, and you just seem to think sometimes, so as good as Edson Barboza was and still is, he, he often gets a little bit overlooked when it, talks, when it comes to like great lightweight fighters. I mean, that's a great portfolio of victories. Yeah, definitely. I mean, he's only really lost to uh, uh, elite level fighters. I mean, you could argue that if he lost to um, a Mitchell, it would arguably want to be one of his worst losses uh, in the UFC. I mean, um, in retrospect, I think that the Kevin Lee uh, and the Giga Chikadze losses could, you know, age worse. But, um, you know, it is it will be, you know, definitely the best win of uh of Mitchell's uh, career if he gets that win. And he is uh, the 60% favorite here. So, you know, maybe people are getting a little too high on Bryce Mitchell. Maybe Barbosa can pull off another vet lesson. Uh, but I'm going with Mitchell to grapple his way to a win. Coleman event time now. And it's the battle of the Hafaels in the lightweight division. It is Hafael Dosanos, the former lightweight champion. He is taking on Hafael Fizayev. And it's Fizayev, the Kyrgyzstan fighter, who is the bookmaker's favorite for this one. Minus 240, you can get RDA a plus 195. Now, this was originally intended to headline the Johnny Walker versus Jamal Hill card, but it was pushed back to 272 due to uh, Fizayev having issues with his visa. It's a five-round core main, which is one of the few times that the UFC have actually done this. You mentioned before, most of them involving the Diaz brothers. And we'll start this off by asking the big question, which everybody's been asking, who is MMA's greatest Rafael? Well, what I was thinking is we only have one Rafael. We have one Rafael in this fight because uh, Rafael Fiziev is not Brazilian. So he would pronounce <laughs> he would pronounce the R. But I like I like what, what you're going with, with just the Rafael versus Rafael. Honestly, like somehow I've been thinking about this fight for the past few days and I never really put that two and two together that is uh which is ridiculous honestly but um you know i love both these guys i don't understand how you couldn't love both these guys um they're both you know fantastic fighters uh rda is honestly an all-time great one of the probably the most underrated fighters ever and Fiziev has just been facing a steady and steady step up in competition in the UFC. And he's been passing those tests every time. And, you know, the guy has been impressing me time and time again. Um, you know, I was betting on on Bobby Green and, and Brad Riddell and Moicano against him. And the guy just proved me wrong time and time again, just, you know, beating those guys up. Uh, I mean, the Riddell knockout, beautiful spinning back kick. Um, so, you know, this is an amazing matchup. I'm very happy they made it five rounds, uh, even though it was, uh, you know, a co-main event on a pay-per-view. And it's just going to be an incredible fight. So I'll let you start uh, start this one off, uh, Carl, on your thoughts on like how the matchup goes. Well, we'll start off by talking about RDA as well. And we mentioned with Edson Barboza have been one of those sort of overlooked great fighters in the lightweight division. RDA, as you sort of touched on there, 
deserve to be in the same boat. Look at some of the wins that he's had. Kevin Lee, Robbie Lawler, two wins over Donald Cerrone, Anthony Pettis, Nate Diaz, Benson Henderson, another who's who of great lightweight, welterweight fighters. And I do think that people are starting to come around and appreciate how good Rafael Dos Anjos actually is. Because a lot of people forget when he became lightweight champion, he was not a popular champion by any means. They were having to put his fights on Fox and on Fight Pass just to get people to try and care about like his sort of road to the title. And I think now we're seeing him once again in sort of like Fight Night main events. He's been given a pay-per-view call main, which a lot of casual viewers are going to be watching. So I do think the people are starting to turn the corner and realize, hey, this guy was a great fighter. We should appreciate him while he's still around. Yeah, I do agree. You know, the public sentiment is, is finally coming around on him and, uh, you know, going back and forth between welterweight and lightweight. And, uh, you know, oh, he took uh, what, at least three years off of uh, lightweight and then came right back and put together a nice five round performance over Paul Felder. Very well-rounded performance, uh, used a pretty heavy grappling attack in that fight, and I think that's what he's going to have to do again here, because uh, even though uh, RDA is an extremely skilled striker, um, you know, his his speed, his, you know, some of his power is probably a little bit past his prime on, on the feet, and he's going to be at a striking disadvantage versus Fiziev, um, you know, who is a, a tremendous striker, you know, great body kick, solid boxer as well, and, you know, he also uh, can go a pretty hard three rounds. You know, he does slow down a little bit towards the end of the fight, but um, the Brad Riddell fight, he didn't slow it down at all because that was, you know, kind of a calm, striking pace the entire fight. And Fizzy have proved that he's not going to slow down at that pace at all. It's a really high, high pace striking fight like the Bobby Green fight where he does slow a little bit. So. Uh, I think the guy's cardio is a little bit of a question mark, um, especially considering this is his first five-round fight. I believe in all of MMA. I don't think he's had any uh, five-round experience. Um, so it's going to be a big question of what does Fiziev's cardio look like and then what does his defensive grappling look like because you got to think that RDA is going to be looking to grapple here. He grappled real heavy versus Paul Felder. Um, RDA has good takedowns, great top pressure, uh, great top, uh, submission game as well. So you you got to think that RDA is going to be looking to wrestle, and then you have to think about uh, it, what is Fizia's takedown defense look like. And I think it has looked pretty good so far, um, but we also haven't seen it tested against that high level grapplers. He fought you know Moicano, but Moicano didn't try to grapple. Um, Marty Casey did does come from a wrestling background. He did fail a few takedowns. Alex White failed a lot of takedowns. So Fizia's takedowns uh, defense has looked good so far, but I also think that RDA is going to be the best grappler wrestler he's fought by a pretty wide margin. So some of that old footage of him defending takedowns, you know, might not not translate to this matchup too well. And, uh, you know, that's why it's so interesting to me. That's why uh, I think that RDA is a pretty live underdog here at over a two to one underdog, because I think he could have a grappling advantage. He certainly has the experience advantage. He's got the five round experience mm. advantage as well. So, I mean, I think uh, I think people are writing off RDA a little bit in this fight. And also as well, RDA likes to fight at a very high pace during his fight. 
Yeah, I mean, he he brings the pressure, um, had no problem going five rounds against uh, Paul Felder. And if I had to guess, I would say like the majority of his past, you know, 10, 15 fights have been scheduled for five rounds. I mean, uh, let's. I wonder what the guy's record is in five round fights. He lost to, to Leon Edwards. He lost to Colby Covington and Camaro. Those are all, you know, big elite level light uh, welterweights. But in five round fights at, at lightweight, I think... Uh, Oh yeah, no, he he did lose to Eddie and to Tony. So, um, but those didn't. Only one of them went the full five rounds. I don't even know what I'm trying to say. I'm trying to say the guy is great in five round fights. Very experienced in five round fights. My personal take is, I I think the one big concern that most people have about RDA is it's the age and it's the inactivity. Because the last time he fought was the Paul Felder fight, which was November 2020. So we're looking at a a 14 month break between fights. Now, obviously, ring rust affects different fighters in different ways. It had no issue when it came to Glover Shiva, who spent like over a year out and still ends up dominating his title fight. Is ring rust going to be a factor when it comes to Dos Anjos at 37 years old? And that's the one sort of question mark I have. I personally think RDA would beat Fizayev if this fight happened two or three years ago. But I think a 37-year-old RDA, that's, there's too many question marks about that. Yeah, I mean, I think so, too. I mean, if like I said, like you said, if this fight happened two years ago, three years ago, the odds could be flipped. RDA could be the uh, the 250 favorite. But, you know, that's really the question is, has RDA declined with his age enough to the point where he should be a big underdog? And I don't think the guy has slowed down that much to the point where he deserves, uh, you know, be, like, I mean, if you if you did the implied probability of his odds in this fight, um, they would be like less around 30 percent you really think 30 percent for rda i mean i think that's a bit disrespectful especially when you consider um like uh the odds against brad riddell brad riddell is you know uh, that was a striker versus striker and you know i did bet riddell in that fight so i can't talk that much but the odds in that fight were, were much much closer and uh our Riddell had no grappling upside in that fight. So you're getting a guy in RDA who has the grappling upside, who has the five-round experience upside. And, you know, I, I think I'll be having my money on RDA in this fight. You know, I'm not going to be confidently picking him to get it done. But I think, you know, one or two takedowns from RDA early on in this fight could really uh, zap the energy of Fiziev and just make this fight look like a completely different fight than people expect. So I like RDA's chances. I'll be cheering for him to pull off the upset. Do you know what this fight reminds me of? It reminds me of Calvin Cater versus Giga Chikatsi. You've got sort of like the big hype train of the moment, like especially with a striking background, going up against a guy who's been out for a long time, who people have sort of maybe forgotten about in terms of their prowess. And as we saw, Calvin gave them a big reminder of how good he is and kind of exposed some of the limitations in Giga. This feels very similar. And if it does turn out the way that you potentially see it going, where RDA turns this into a five-round grappling fest, it could be a lot of people like saying, hey, I told you so, why didn't we see that again? I think Fizayev deserves to be the favourite. I would have an around sort of like a 140 range. He shouldn't be as high as 240. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, he's up to 260 in some places, which puts his chances over 70%. So uh, I think people are disrespecting the the old vet RDA. I still think he's got plenty left in the tank. And with the right game plan, the grappling heavy game plan, I think he could, uh, you know, 
win this fight easily with that approach. So a really awesome fight. You know, I don't dislike Fiziev at all. I wouldn't be mad to see him win because, you know, the guy is, is tremendous. But I think there's a little bit uh, of enough questions out there to, to have some skepticism over this big price tag on him as a favorite. It is now time for us to talk about our main event of the evening. And we're going to the welterweight division. And as we mentioned before, it is a rare occasion when it comes to the UFC. Uh, outside of Conor McGregor and the Diaz brothers, the last time that the UFC did a pay-per-view non-title main event, Dan Henderson versus Rashad Evans, UFC 161. It's happening once again. It's Colby Covington taking on Jorge Masvidal. Colby is a big bookmaker's favorite for this one. You can get him at minus 335 with DraftKings. Jorge Masvidal comes in at plus 260. Now, the big question that a lot of people want to bring up first and foremost, John, is a lot has been made of the fact that this is a pay-per-view main event. Does it deserve to be one? Yes, for sure. Um, I think that there's both these guys are well known enough. Um, you know, Jorge definitely has a lot of popularity behind him. Um, and, you know, there's a there's a legitimate good storyline behind this fight. I mean, I think a lot of times um, the storylines in like uh, in title fights or, or main events get are, are extremely forced like the the Cyril versus Ngannou. Uh, I didn't find that extremely compelling. Um. Uh, I get with the whole coach thing and whatnot, but these guys like legitimately were good friends. Now they don't like each other. Um, you know, if you haven't seen it, look up the video of Jorge and Colby uh, wrestling on Thanksgiving or something like that. These guys are like lived in an apartment together and they wrestle around their apartment for like 20 minutes straight. Uh, just, you know. There's there's shit all over the apartment, just all this stuff. They, it looks like they just moved in, and these crazy motherfuckers are wrestling one another around in the apartment, like like it's a, a full MMA practice. I mean, it's a great video, um, and I think uh, Jorge was in Colby's corner for the RDA fight when he won his interim championship. Like these guys were legitimately like best friends at one point. and they went their separate ways. Uh, back in you know 2019, they had. You know, personal disputes, some disputes over their coach. They used to train at the same gym. They split gyms. So, I mean, this is a really good storyline. Um, you know, I think that, like, it could, if you watch a promo that the UFC puts together about these guys, I feel like it could be actually like a compelling story that makes people want to tune in. I'm in a very similar sort of boat to you. I think it does deserve to be a, a pay per view main event. I was looking through some of the sort of like recent title fights that the UFC have done and some of the title fights that they got planned plan now. And I think Colby versus Masvidal could do far better numbers than say it's going to do better numbers than Volkanovski versus Zombie. Probably do better numbers than uh, Gagey versus Charles Oliveira. The one thing that the naysayers will say though is both of these guys are coming off losses to the same guy. And if you actually go back through the figures, they have only had two wins between them in the past two and a half years. Yeah, I mean. They're they're definitely both uh, Camaro Usman's sons, no doubt about that. <laughs> Camaro, you know, beat both their asses both times. Um, but um, yeah, I'm sure they're both extremely grateful to be fighting a guy besides uh, Camaro Usman for a change. Um, but you know, I've 
I think you can really be skeptical about Colby Covington's run that he's been on. I mean, if you look at like some of his past wins, Tyron Woodley, you know, not impressive at all. Um, Robbie Lawler far past his prime and he did, you know, beat uh, Lawler bell to bell, but, um, you know, you know, so did RDA, you know, so did, um, uh, Neil Magny, you know, a lot of guys have been beaten up on Lawler lately, this late in his career. And then Colby, you know, his best win is a very marginal decision over uh, RDA. Um, you know, a lot of people, you know, my good friend Sri Ram still stands to this day that RDA won that fight. Um, and it sounds crazy to some people, but, you know, it sounded crazy to me at first time. Uh, but you go back and watch it and Colby, he gets a takedown. He doesn't do anything with it. Colby or RDA stands up. RDA knees him in the stomach. He separates. Colby gets a takedown. He doesn't do anything with it. I mean, Colby wrestles and has a crazy pace and has great wrestling. But once he gets the fight to the floor, he doesn't do a whole lot of damage. He doesn't land a lot of ground and pound. He doesn't attack submissions. And the guy's, you know, kind of a crotch sniffer at times. Uh, you know, <laughs> he, he wrestles. He wrestles hard for the entire time. He's got incredible cardio, incredible output. But I just don't think the guy does damage that much. He doesn't look to hurt his opponents while Jorge is. Uh, you know, a very damaging fighter. I mean, he he knocks dudes stiff. Uh, you know, asked uh, Darren Till, Ben Askren about that. He beat the shit out of Nate Diaz. Um, you know, made that look fairly easy in that fight. And uh, I think Mazadal just the much harder hitter, the much more damaging fighter. And I mean, the odds for this fight are crazy, in my opinion. I mean, we got uh, Colby Covington as a minus three fifty favorite, uh, Jorge Masvidal almost a plus three hundred underdog. I think that the people are disrespecting uh, Jorge Masvidal. I mean, I kind of been thinking about this way about all the underdogs. I think all the underdogs. Um, actually, no, I, I'd say Spivak and Mitchell are fine. And then, uh, RDA and Masvidal are the value underdogs. So what are you thinking about how they, how these two match up? I think a lot of it might be weighted into how both performed against Kamava Usman. Cause both times, especially the first time when it came to Colby, Colby gave Kamava Usman a lot of trouble, especially in that first fight. And I even saw people in the second fight trying to make some sort of argument that Colby won that. I personally thought it was 4-1 to uh, Usman to win that. And yet with Masvidal, it was five-round domination, first time round. And then second time around, big highlight reel knockout, which put Masvidal out. I think that's only the... I think I read somewhere, 50 fights Jorge Masvidal has had. And that's only the fourth time he's been finished, which I think mm -hmm. that tells you everything you need to know in regards to how big of an achievement that was for Kamara Usman to finish that fight. Um, I think that Masvidal does have some strengths behind him. I think his takedown defense on the whole is very good. And even the second time around, I think Kamara only landed the one takedown in that second fight. And Masvidal was pretty much straight up, straight afterwards. So I think his grappling is a lot better than people give it credit for. But the thing with Colby is it's that pace. It's that pace and that striking style. It's not the flashiest it's a bit sloppy, but it's constant output. He, quite appropriately, consider, considering Colby, it's an annoying striking style. It's just shot, 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 shot. And nobody can get the chance to build up some momentum. We saw that when Robbie Lawler fought him. And I can see him frustrating Masvidal in the same way. And Masvidal's just not going to be able to get his striking game going because Colby's just constantly on him all the time. Hmm. Yeah, um, so starting at distance, I think that 
you know, you got to give Masvidal the advantage at distance. Yes. I don't think anybody would really dispute that. You know, Kobe's going to be pumping out that volume like he does, but that's going to give opportunities to be countered. And, you know, there's no doubt about it that Jorge is the, the, the harder puncher. He's a very skilled kicker as well, very underrated kicking game. So at distance, striking range, uh, Masvidal is going to be landing the better shots and he's going to be winning the fight at that range. So then you have to be very, very confident that Colby is going to get it into the clinch, get it into the wrestling over and over again. And then you have to be confident that he's going to keep it there for, you know, three, four minutes around. Because if he's if he I could see scenarios where Colby, you know, gets a takedown, controls him for two minutes, but then they get back to distance and Masvidal lands a few punches and then that kind of could swing the round right back. I mean, like I was mentioning, Colby doesn't do a whole lot of damage, doesn't land a lot of ground and pound. So when he gets these takedowns, uh, he doesn't do a whole lot with them. So I could see him getting takedowns for the first few minutes of a round. Then Jorge works his way back up to the feet, gets back to range, lands a knee or an elbow on the brakes, lands a few punches, lands a kick at the end of the round. And then the round becomes really, really close all of a sudden. Because Masvidal is doing the most damage. You guys got to remember that. The scoring criteria says damage is the number one factor. Mm -hmm. It's above effective uh, grappling. It's above controlling a a person against a cage. It's all about damage. So if Jorge can just find some small opportunities to land damage, I think he could really swing these rounds uh, back in his favor. And I think this one is, you know, extremely likely to go the distance. Um, You know, it it is favored at minus 142 to go the distance. I mean, I think if anyone is finishing the fight, it's going to be Masvidal via mm. knockout, but I mean, Colby is pretty tough too. I mean, it took a, a sustained beating for Usman to finish him. He got dropped by Usman and fought his way back. So I think this one is going to be hitting the scorecards for sure. And uh, I think it's going to be a 48-47 on either side. I could see it being really similar to the RDA fight where RDA, I mean, I, I was just describing it again. RDA lands a, a strike at distance, gets taken down, gets back up, lands some strikes in the clinch, and then the rounds are really 50-50. And, you know, I just don't think that uh, Covington is as damaging of a fighter as you want him to be to be betting him at, you know, 75 78% here. So I like Masvidal as the underdog here, and I think he's got a great chance to win straight up. One of the things I have noticed about Jorge Masvidal, especially during this whole sort of Street Jesus career reinvention, is Masvidal has always been a fantastic technical striker, probably one of the best jabs in the sport. But one of the things I noticed when he came back into action against Darren Till, and as we've seen for the rest of his fights, he has been a lot more aggressive. He's always started to sort of mix that sort of technical prowess and be a lot more come forward. It's mixing the brawler, the street fighter, with the technician. He needs to do the same thing in this fight, because if he allows Colby to start pressing the pace and be the one to dictate where the fight's going. He's not going to win this fight whatsoever. He needs to be the aggressor. He needs to put the pressure on Colby. And whether or not that causes sort of like long-term effects later on in the fight, I think it's a chance he needs to take. Yeah, I I agree with that completely. Um, I was just kind of looking at, you know, Masvidal was, I feel like he's always the underdog. And, you know, looking back... um, in his past uh, eight or nine fights, he was only favorite one time to Nate Diaz. He was a dog to uh, Usman both times to um, 
uh, Askren, he was underdog. Till, underdog. Stephen Thompson, uh, wonder, uh, Damian Maya, underdog to all these guys. I feel like he's always in, in a in a, a tough matchup, but he typically, you know, overperforms those expectations of him being the underdog too. So I just think that this could be another example of that, of uh, you know, him being underrated by by the market here. And I think that um, you know, people are, are are a bit crazy for betting Colby Covington as over a three to one favorite. I don't see that as a good bet at all. So you know, I'll be cheering for Jorge to get this. This one done for sure you think maybe a lot of that is down to the amount of fights that they've had and especially the number of losses i think that a lot of the sort of punters are a big reason that dictate all of these sort of betting odds and we've seen a lot of times that you can have a fighter who has that sort of zero next to the name and i find that the punters always give them more leeway than what they normally do do you think that's mm-hmm. maybe just some people? Do you think there's maybe people out there that see that fifteen next to Jorge, and maybe don't give him the credit because of that? Yeah, definitely. I mean, there are um, we we call them like quantitative betters, where they look at stats, they look at numbers, they look at records, and then they bet based on that. But you know, there's so much more to fighting besides that. It's a qualitative game. Um, you know, you have to look at you know how the fights really went you have to watch the footage for example i mean this will this will already be uh the fight had already happened um by the time this gets released but look at bobby green tonight as a six to one underdog against islam mahachev people are putting so much stock in a green having you know 10 losses and islam being 21 and one and khabib's prodigy and whatnot uh but you know Bobby Green is an extremely defensive grappler. He's a great fighter everywhere. And, you know, Bobby Green's pulling off this upset and is going to beat Islam Mahachev. We recorded this before the fight happened, by the way. <laughs> it's 3 p.m. It's 3 p.m. on a Saturday. So when you guys watch this tomorrow throughout the week, just be like, damn, that guy was right about Bobby Green pulling off the upset. So um, I like, uh, like I said, once again, I like Masvidal as a bet here, three to one underdog. I'm happy to put my money on him at that price. Yep. Um- Jorge Masvidal is 37 years old now, and he's coming off two straight losses, both to the same guy, Kamara Usman. Now, Jorge Masvidal was the sort of like the big sort of flavor of the month in the MMA world. He was the BMF champion, he was Street Jesus, and he ended up being legitimately one of the sport's biggest stars. Can he still be a big star if he loses to Colby, or is that the end of the sort of Masvidal hype, as it were? Two words. Jake Paul, he lo- I think win or lose, he's fighting Jake Paul after this. And if I, I mean, I mean, I don't know what his UFC contract is like or whatnot. Um, but you know, I, I would, if I were him, I would do everything in my power to to box Jake Paul because that's a that's a big money fight right there. He can he can make ten million dollars boxing Jake Paul in this next calendar year if he wants to. So I hope he does that. That would be fun to see. And final sort of to wrap this whole thing up. Um, who's winning this fight and how's it going to happen? Masvidal 48-47 decision is my pick. I'm going to go against you. I'm going to go with the same way that most of the uh, bookmakers are saying. I'm going to pick Colby Covington 49-46. I like it. But um, yeah, again, what I'll say is uh, the same thing I said last prediction is my most official confident prediction is this one goes the distance. And they they have goes the distance at like 58% here. So they think this fight ends by finish, you know, 40% of the time. No way. I'll take goes the distance for sure. And that is all the time that we have for the UFC 272 preview show. I have to say, John, there were some people, some naysayers thinking, oh, it's a non-title fight. It's, um, 
it doesn't have that same sort of buzz that it would do for if the belt was on the line. But I have to say, given what we have to work with, obviously the two big larger than life personalities of both Colby and Masvidal, whether they are genuine or not, they have added that little extra buzz to this matchup and to this card. Yeah, like I said, it was great story. Uh, it's, a, it's a good matchup. People have been wanting to see this fight for, for years. Um, great co-main event, five-round co-main event. Oliveira and Holland should be fun. Uh, Mitchell and Barbosa should be fun. Uh, hopefully seeing Greg Hardy lose will be fun. So I think they did, you know, a good job with this pay-per-view. The only questionable decision is the, the, the Hardy fight. You know, I probably would have liked to see Marina on the main card instead and maybe even throw Umar on the main card. But as we saw uh, before our last preview show, um, they, they sometimes mix up the order in the middle of the week. Remember that we analyzed Rojo and uh, Phillips, and then they switched Hernandez and Moicano there instead. So maybe they make a last-minute change to the card. Uh, you know, Hopefully not, though, because that means we, we didn't analyze one of the fights. But um, it's been a pleasure discussing the fights, as always, with you, Carl. A lot of fun coming on the, on the channel every time. Uh, glad to see the INT Live uh, podcast uh, videos getting the views they deserve in the past few weeks so hopefully that continues and thanks to everyone who's listening and showing support uh, you can find me martian mma on youtube soundcloud spotify apple podcast and my twitter is at ufo underscore ufc and you will cover all of the fights in a lot more detail when you do your preview show later on in the week uh, so hopefully if they do chop and change the card a little bit we'll have it covered at least in somewhere Yes, sir. I'll do a full full event breakdown on all the fights uh, coming out later this week. So check me out on all my uh, my socials that I just mentioned. So uh, thanks again for having me, Carl. Great talking as always. Definitely, John. And thank you very much for tuning in as well. This has been the UFC 272 preview show. My name has been Carl Bainbridge. That has been John Marsh and Emily. See you later. And we'll, we'll be seeing you again in four weeks' time. It will be UFC 273. Can the Korean Zombie take advantage of his last-minute title fight and pull off the upset over Alex Volkanovski? We'll discuss that fight as well as Piotr Jan versus Aljamain Sterling. That's coming up in four weeks' time. This has been the INC. Thank you very much for watching.